In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. This is the second part of the series that we're doing where we answer your questions about ourselves and share more about our personal lives and our legal history This half is going to be a little bit more about our personal lives, less so about everything legal and a little bit more about Bravo. Just a disclaimer, Angela and I are recording this separately. We're both slammed right now, but want to make sure that we put out content. For those who don't know, I'm taking the California bar next week, literally in one week, and Angela is crushing it as a partner. That being said, we will answer these questions as thoroughly as we can. So the first one is, how did you meet and become friends? So we have an introductory episode. I think it's either our first if you go to Apple Podcasts or it's our welcome trailer if you go to Spotify and we give a full explanation on how the podcast started. But Angela and I were not friends before we started the podcast, but we have grown our friendship through the podcast, if you can believe that. So I say this not because I want to sit here and take full credit for it by any means because it's evolved so much with Angela's participation in it. I mean, she's just such a wealth of knowledge. But I had the idea of the podcast a year before we connected on Reddit, and I just felt kind of like I couldn't get it off the ground on my own. It just wasn't the right time. And I think that's a lesson in waiting for the right time and waiting for the right people before you take a next step. And I don't want to discourage anyone from taking that step and doing something outside of their comfort zone. But for me, it needed to be the right time and with the right person. I sat on the idea for the podcast for a year 
And then right in the peak of COVID, I think it was August 2020, I saw a post on the Bravo Real Housewives subreddit by Angela where she did this great expose and I'll let her explain what the subject was. But it was so well written and it had some humor in it. And I commented and was like, hey, I've been wanting to do this podcast, like a legal podcast, and I think you'd be perfect for it. And she responded, we scheduled up a Zoom call. We met for the first time via Zoom and it was just meant to be. Her energy was awesome. She had so much experience. She was just guns blazing, like, let's do this. It was exactly the the energy that was needed to get this off the ground. We clicked and there was a lot of trial and error. For those who don't know, I think we recorded (laughs) probably like four or five episodes before releasing the first and we're still constantly learning and we're learning about each other even through this. And we've met, I think, three times now. We're always excited for the opportunity to connect and see each other and just chit chat. I talk to her a ton. There's always something going on. And we're both always constantly trying to figure out how to make the podcast and our Instagram and everything better. But I am so fortunate that we met not only for the podcast, but for my life in general. She's given me such good advice. She was a really big proponent of me moving on in my career. And I just I really, really appreciate it. I don't know what else I could add to that. Ceci covered it so well and actually made me a little emotional for her responses. So I don't really have anything to add. She covered that question and I am just super grateful to have her as a part of my life. Do you recall what topic initially made you join the Real Housewives subreddit? For me, it was the whole Denise Richards, Beverly Hills incident with Brandy Glanville and all the stuff that was going on with that. I was so frustrated watching it that I got on Reddit during the pandemic and started reading what other people thought. And then that's what led to me making the post that Ceci mentioned in her last answer. I cannot remember what topic it was, but I know it was when I was living in New York. So it had to be between 20, I would say it was 2017 is when I found the subreddit. And I had already been on Reddit since 2013 by that point. But I think I was just learning that there were subreddits where people were discussing their favorite TV shows. And I actually reconnected with the housewives around that time as well. I was out in Berkeley by myself. And on the hotel television, it was the scene of Dorinda and Carol in London in bed. It was Carol hugging her late husband's ashes and they were crying over it. And I was just like, what is this show? I don't think I've ever seen this show. And then we went to commercial. And it came back and I was like, oh, wow, this is the Real Housewives of New York. I haven't watched it in so long. Maybe I should reconnect with it and watch it. I used to watch Real Housewives with my mom when it first came out and I stopped in college and then stopped in law school. So when I reconnected with it is when I was like, well, maybe there might be a subreddit for this. And I found it and I just really liked reading about that moment on Real Housewives of New York and then I decided to go rewatch everything and watch everything that I hadn't watched yet. And then it was all uphill from there. <laughs> but it is interesting how we can, because of life events, kind of lose touch of a show or pop culture or something that's just in the common nucleus. And we suddenly, because of life, disconnect from it. But then it's always nice to reconnect with it. Someone asks, what was the hardest podcast episode slash case to unfold? 
For me, it was 100% the Mary Cosby Salt Lake City episodes. That entire story, so that episode which we titled So I Married My Grandpa, Death and Taxes in Utah, there were documents dating back 20, 30 years. There were multiple court cases. There were so many sources of information. I mean, digging through the decades-old legal files in Utah, finding all of the old reporting on it, and then putting it together in a cohesive timeline. We actually had to record that one three times because it was so hard to keep the timeline straight and it was so disjointed. But it's also one of my favorite episodes. Now, I mean, parts of that case went all the way up to the Utah Supreme Court. Then there was the Florida death of Mary's grandma and the stuff going on with that. And then there were the multiple family members that intervened and the bankruptcy filing. And it was just nuts. And then also learning about all the tax rules and how hard it is to audit a church. It just, that one was really difficult to organize and get all of the research together in a cohesive way. For me, though, the recording part of the episodes is probably just the easiest. I think from practicing law for 15 years and having to make so many legal arguments in such serious situations in open court that I'm pretty comfortable just talking. Mm, I think they're all hard, but maybe not in the way that you would expect. It isn't super difficult to go find the documents and to read them and understand them, especially as an attorney. The hardest part for me is actually delivering the content. I clam up for some reason. I, I know I have performance anxiety and it's something that I've been really working through. Like I mentioned, I have really bad test anxiety. So the same thing sort of happens when I come and sit in my closet to record this podcast. It's like I lose my breath. And even though I'm sitting solo in a closet, I record in my closet and there's Angela on the other end and she's someone I trust. I just have all these fears going into it and I, I don't know how to get rid of it. And I'm really working through it. I try and take breaths and center myself and make myself comfortable and just feel like I'm talking to people who support us. But it can be difficult. I think one of the hardest podcast episodes to record just because of logistics was the Lisa Vanderpump episode. I know we promised everyone we would do a second part of that. And that was about all the wage disputes that she had with her employees. But we couldn't get access to the materials. And that's one that just pains me. It kind of haunts me because I know we owe everyone a part two on that. And yeah, we just haven't been able to deliver it. But it's still one that's on my list. And I really want to finish it and get it to everyone because I'm also curious too. I want to know what happened, especially now that you know, Villa Rosa has closed and Palm has closed. So I really want to dig in there and see what's going on with that. Has any Bravo celebrity contacted you, re your content, or corrected anything you aired? Yes. I think the ones who don't like the material obviously have not contacted us. We have been blocked by some people. I think it's unfair because we really aren't saying anything that isn't already on a docket. I don't think we should name anyone by name, but you can see on our account there are Bravo celebrities that follow us. Sometimes they comment on things so it's public. We have received messages in private of people clarifying things. It's never to tell us that we got anything wrong. Usually it's supporting what we found on our own and just adding their own 
information that is not available on the docket. But we appreciate that and we welcome it. If anyone wants to clarify anything, we've done an episode on you. We totally welcome it. Ceci gave a great answer on that and I don't have much to add. Although I do wonder who listens, because if I were on one of these shows and there were two lawyers spilling all the verified legal tea about one of my cast members, I would absolutely be listening to the podcast (laughs) to get the information. And then I also wonder, you know, there's a lot of famous people that are fans of Bravo shows like John Hamm and Meryl Streep. And there have been times where I'm like, oh, my God, what if Meryl Streep is listening to the Beverly Hills episode because she's curious about what's going on with Erica and Tom Girardi's legal case? Just sharing a little fantasy I have in my head. I'm manifesting it. I'm manifesting it. Meryl, if you're listening, huge fan. Are there any types of cases y'all wouldn't take on? So I am always concerned when we do a case that doesn't actually have a legal outcome yet, because I don't like to surmise how something will end up in case first we get it wrong. I don't want to be criticized for getting it wrong when we're sharing our opinions. And second, in case it conflicts with what you guys might think. I feel like it's easier to cover something when there's already been a judgment out there because it takes it out of our hands. It's out of our authority. It's someone else that's made the judgment on it. But I understand a lot of times when there's a new case, our listeners might want to know about that in the moment. So I feel uncomfortable whenever we take a case that has not actually been decided. And just to add to Ceci's response, we're very careful not to reveal personal details about children or anyone that hasn't consented to being on reality TV. Sometimes there's people involved in these legal disputes or cases that are not on the show and didn't agree to become a public figure on one of these shows. And we try to be very careful about respecting that and not dragging that out into the open or at least attempting to respect those people's privacy. What is the first case y'all looked into? Were there any before the podcast? The first case that we covered as a podcast was the Monique and Candace fight. There was nothing before that for the podcast. So I kind of did. I got super curious about why all of the women in Beverly Hills were so mad at Denise Richards. And I have a theory about that. And this is a theory. This is just a theory. And I'm just going to share it with you guys. I think it is possible that because Brooke Mueller, who was married to Charlie Sheen and then divorced him, I think it's possible that when Denise Richards was in the legal battle with Charlie Sheen over child support payments or whatnot, when that happens, both parties have to reveal their finances. And as that was going on, Denise Richards had gotten the contract with Bravo. It's possible that when Denise Richards' attorney exchanged the information about the financial matters with Charlie Sheen's attorney, that Charlie Sheen also got a copy of that and then shared that with Brooke Mueller, who would have then seen how much Denise Richards was getting paid. And then because Brooke Mueller is really close with Kathy Hilton, she would have told Kathy Hilton, who would have told Kyle Richards. And then, of course, Kyle Richards would have told everyone. This is a conspiracy theory that I had before 
we started the podcast. I'm not saying this happened. It was just a theory. But that's also kind of what led to me starting to research these things. And then I ended up writing a different post about Denise Richards and the whole Beverly Hills Brandy Glanville incident in that Reddit post. What do your employers think about the podcast? Do your coworkers know about the podcast? Um, so I'm in between jobs, so I can answer this for both of those employers. The law firm that I was with had to learn of the podcast because of the filming that we did for the Jen Shaw documentary and wanted to give them a heads up just in case it affected my employment or anything with them. The management of the firm, so not necessarily the attorneys I was working for, but the people in the more operational roles said that they didn't want the firm to be associated with the podcast, which was fine. This is not their podcast. This is my own separate thing. The people that I worked directly with, though, so my group and the people that I considered my coworkers, they knew of the podcast and were very supportive of it. So I really appreciate that. And there were other partners and attorneys at the firm that were also individually very supportive of the podcast. So much so that there were managing partners of specific offices that had me come virtually speak to their respective offices. So I did a lot of talks about how to be a female attorney, how to find a passion outside of your work, things like that. And I really, really appreciated that support. I would have sometimes partners come to me and say, hey, I was able to mention your podcast to a client who likes Bravo as well or likes reality television as well and thought it was really cool. And now we can connect over that and I can bring in a client because of that. I kind of wish that they supported it more. You know, we have had a lot of accolades, like being written about in Law 360, which is just phenomenal for an attorney to be written about. But you know, that's okay. That's the operational management's decision. Also, there were some listeners who ended up joining the law firm that I was at and reached out. I thought that was so cool. So it was a pleasure being one of your coworkers. My new place of employment, I put on my resume the Bravo docket. So they, of course, had to know about it. I'm just excited to try with this firm to see if they're willing and open to supporting it a little bit more. When I worked for the government, I was actually really nervous about not the people in my division, but you know, the Texas government is very conservative. I am not. I was very concerned that maybe they would try to shut me up or be very unfavorable towards the podcast. But I'm back in private practice now. I love the firm where I'm at, and they have been incredibly supportive of the podcast. I wasn't even going to put anything about it in my firm bio, and they included it, and I think that that's so great. Being a partner at a firm where the other partners support your passion project and your interests is just such a positive experience, and it's incredibly validating to have the work that I put into the podcast also validated by my coworkers. And I will also say I've had clients reach out and say that they're really interested in it or they've listened to certain episodes. And it's been great for networking and marketing too, because when you find out that someone else is a Bravo fan and then suddenly you immediately have all these common interests and you can all talk about it, it's super fun. Rose and Thorne of Podcasting and Practicing Law. The rose for me is being exposed to many different areas of law and using my brain in a way that was different than what I do in my day to day. The thorn of practicing and podcasting 
It's just the time management. And that goes to the next question we received, which was, how do you balance the pod and working full time as trial attorneys? It's very difficult, but I don't want us to fail. I am constantly trying to think of ways to make it easier for us to put out content when we're busy. Like we are very busy right now. I I'm fortunate that right now I have time to carve out free time because studying is just on me. But I know when I start at my new firm, which is at in August, it's going to be much more difficult when you're trying to meet client demands. I think we're constantly trying to figure out how to manage it. The thing for me, though, is that I look forward to recording and I look forward to doing the research. So it's kind of like a treat. But one thing that we're going to try to start doing is making our research and recording time sort of a specific time of the day and a specific day of the week. So it's really just protected time sort of like a weekly appointment. And I think that'll help. But it's hard. It is very hard. Yeah, I will just second everything Ceci just said. She put it really clearly. And it is super hard. A lot of times we're recording really late at night or on the weekends. And we do all of our production work. We do all of our own audio editing. We are the ones responsible for all of the content that you hear. It's all us. It's our research, our audio editing, everything. Because we are both practicing attorneys, this isn't a casual thing that we can just talk about and release. We want to make sure we're getting everything as accurate as we can. It can be stressful, but we enjoy it. This is one I added. What is your life like outside of being an attorney, other hobbies, favorite activities, etc.? So beyond sitting on my couch and watching TV, I have a dog and I've mentioned that before. His name is Buddy. He's a rescue. We got him, I think, when he was around five or six. So he came with a lot of challenges, behavioral challenges. He's the cutest dog. So people are really drawn to him, but he hates that attention. So one of my hobbies is taking care of him and training him and trying to get him a little less anxious around people and new experiences. He's grown behaviorally so much, but there's always room for improvement. And I mean, I'd love him to be the type of dog to just run up to someone and be so happy and get pet by strangers, but he's just not that kind of dog and never will be. But I like trying to help him and train him. Other hobbies and favorite activities. I am really into trivia. My boyfriend and I When we first started dating, that's something that we bonded over and it was an easy activity for us to do and get to know each other, but also put our brains to use and have a little bit of fun. He's really good at all the historical stuff and math and sports. I'm obviously really good at pop culture, random art design things. So we balance each other out. Beyond that, I love going to new restaurants. Going to a new restaurant and just the entire experience of it is very enjoyable. Like any ADHD person, I have a million hobbies, but there's a lot that I've had that have been really consistent over years of my life. You guys have heard me talk about my horse. I've competed in show jumping for years. I worked really hard to buy my own horse as soon as I graduated law school and learned how to jump with him. He was a off-the-track thoroughbred rescue, and I have my current horse now, His name is Ransom, and he is an amazing horse. We've just done really well at some A-rated shows in the jumper divisions, and it's an amazing experience to have that relationship with your horse, who's your teammate. Ransom and I have competed together for 10 years now. We don't jump as high as we used to because he is older now, but he still absolutely loves going into the ring, and I love 
having that partnership with him and competing with him. And there's just nothing better than completing around and just giving your horse a big hug around the neck and just feeling great about what you just accomplished together. I also really enjoy archery. There's just something about archery that's very soothing. I think in our profession, a lot of things are sort of nebulous and you're making arguments and you don't know how things are going to turn out until you get a ruling from a judge or a jury comes back. But with archery, you know exactly when you got it right and you know why. I have a compound bow. I'm not a hunter. I don't have anything against hunting in theory. There's no way I'm going to sit out in the cold and in a tree or something and wait for an animal to walk by. I don't have the attention span for that. But going out and doing target shooting and being very precise and calm and having this repetition that you go through to shoot is soothing for me and something that I enjoy. I have a million other hobbies, but I'm not going to get into all of those. How many hours do y'all work per week? I don't know. And it's so different week to week. When I was in trial in May, I don't even know how many hours I worked. We had to be at the courthouse close to 8 a.m. There would be a hearing before the trial. So if there were any issues that had to come up that impacted that day, they took them up at 8.30. Then the jury was brought in at 9 until 4. And then there was time to take up things after the jury left if there was an issue that came up during the day. And then we'd drive back to our hotel or the office, have an hour as a break, meet around 6, have dinner, and then work it just, it depended on, like, if you had a witness the next day, you'd might be up until midnight, 1, 2 a.m. working through your outlines. I mean, some people had sleepless nights. It just depended on what they were working on. And then rinse and repeat back in court. So crazy, hectic, hectic, crazy. If you have a filing that week, and a filing is when you have a motion or a pleading that needs to go before the court, you, I mean, hopefully you already have a draft that's ready to go by midweek if it's due on Friday, but sometimes you don't because you're really busy. So maybe you have a deposition on Monday and you could be there 13 hours. You could be there longer. It just has to be seven hours on the record. That could be a really long day. And then, okay, you're tired, so you don't want to work that night. And then suddenly it's Tuesday and you have a client meeting or something and you're like, well, crap, I still have to write this motion. And then Wednesday comes along and maybe you have the motion and maybe someone's reviewing it or maybe you're having a junior associate review it and put in citations. But then you have to review it again and then you have to get all the exhibits together. And oh, wait, do you need a client declaration? Or maybe you do. So then you have to spend time doing that. And then, you know, you don't want to wait till the last minute, but you still have other cases going on or other client demands. And then suddenly Friday hits. And for some reason, even though you put in all this work, you didn't do everything. Does something have to be redacted? Does the client need to review again? Do you need to call your other clients? And suddenly it's 11 p.m. and this thing is due at midnight. So hopefully that gave you some insight into how a week can be. But then on the flip side, sometimes you don't have anything going on at all. I remember someone saying that you have to just take those chances when you're slow and you don't really know when they're coming up and go on vacation then. So you can never really plan out your vacations. You just got to take the breaks as they come. And I was a really big believer in that. Not necessarily in booking a flight at the last moment, but I was a really big believer in if I had a free moment, not filling it with more stuff. I know some people feel uncomfortable by breaks and times of relaxation. I don't. If I had an evening or a Saturday where I didn't necessarily have to work, I could have and I could have gotten ahead, but I just feel like rest is so important as well. 
I would just take the full Saturday and I would lay on the couch and binge a full Netflix series. So long-winded answer. Before I move on from this question, though, I want to add that a lot of law firms have minimum hour requirements. And what this means is that you have to keep track of all the time that you're working and any time that can be charged to a client goes towards that minimum. Most law firms do 1,900 to, I think, 2,100 hours. Some have lower, some have much higher, but that's about the average. And that works out to, I think, 40 hours a week, which seems standard and normal. But you have to factor in that that can be impacted by any vacation time that you take, by any sick days that you have, just by the natural ebbs and flows of cases. There were many times where I would be perfectly on track to hit those 2,000, 1,900 hours or whatnot. And then a case would settle and that would be entirely out of my control. There was one time I was, I landed right in DC and I check my text messages and it's like, Hey, our case settled. We're not going to trial. So I was landing there prepared to work for 15, 12, 11 hours a day and have all that time go towards my minimum hour requirement. But then when the case settles, it, it's gone. That opportunity to bill all those hours is gone. And so that really impacts whether or not you can hit your hours. And that impacts whether or not for most firms, you get your bonus. Oh, and and okay, your day, let's just say a day when you don't have a motion due or when you don't have a deposition, there is time that just cannot be billed to a client because it's not client work. So even though it equates to 40 hours, a week, there's so much non-billable time that you're spending at the office, you're actually putting in more labor than the 40 hours a week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST legal team. Have you guys been on Quince's website recently? I shopped on there like three years ago for the first time and bought myself a bunch of cashmere sweaters. I lived in the black cashmere sweater, lived in it. And I hadn't shopped on there for a while because my cashmere sweaters lasted for a really long time. But I decided to go back on there and oh my gosh, have they completely expanded everything that they offer. The workwear, they have washable silk, 
And I mean, it's so affordable. I also shared with you all that I'm recently engaged and I'm in the middle of wedding planning. So anytime I'm shopping, I'm thinking about wedding, 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 wedding. And they have everything I need for the wedding. I just booked my honeymoon. We're going to go to Southeast Asia. It's going to be hot there. And I've been looking for good linen pieces. Guess what? Quince has good linen pieces and they started only $30. Then I'm like, okay, we need to get our wedding bands. You know who has fine jewelry now? 14 karat gold, Quince. So I send the link to Avery and I'm like, you have to get your wedding band from here. It's affordable and it looks just like any other wedding band. I mean, it looks great. Another thing I'm doing, again, I have wedding on the brain. I want to look my best. So I'm like, okay, I really want cute little matching sets to go work out in. It's the only way I can get motivated. I have to like wear a cute little matching set. I've gotten really into Pilates. And guess what? Quince has the matching sets. They look identical to matching sets I've already purchased from another sports brand. They have the same thing. And at a fraction of the cost, I was able to get two tops and one pair of pants for the same price that I could only get one set at this other sportswear place. I mean, come on. Quince is just killing it. If you've shopped there before, it's time to go back on again. They have just completely expanded the categories of goods that they have to offer. They're not just all about cashmere sweaters anymore. They have got a ton of stuff, and I highly recommend you go check it out. If you're ready to go try out Quince, go to quince.com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is an amazing guarantee on their goods. So go check it out. I highly recommend it, guys. And again, the natural ebbs and flows of being a litigator just makes hitting that target difficult sometimes or really easy if you're lucky and have a bunch of trials and a bunch of work. Again, Ceci answered that really well. We work a lot of hours a week and sometimes it's dependent on what you have going on in your cases. And then sometimes you get a new case and you had everything triaged appropriately and your executive function is working really well. And then all of your deadlines get blown up because you get a new case with new deadlines in it that you can't change and everything gets stacked on top of each other. And then you add to podcasts and everything else we do. I don't really like thinking about how many hours a week I work, but I enjoy what I do. I'm grateful for the people that I work with. What is one thing you love most about being a lawyer? Hmm. Something like the part of being a lawyer that I really like is the strategy and thinking of Everything that you do that goes to the court or opposing counsel is supposed to be part of that strategy. I love thinking about it more long term, trying to think of a game plan. And it's great when any piece of that strategy lands and works. For me, one of the things I love the most is being able to solve problems. That's really a lot of what you do as an attorney is you're a problem solver. No matter what you're doing, you're trying to figure out how to resolve things in the best way, in the best interests of your client. And I really enjoy collaboration. And so one of the things I love the most about products liability defense work is that you get to learn so much about companies and their products and learn about the people that are passionate about creating, building, and designing those products. And then you get to create a team and defend a case together. And I love working with our clients and learning about how 
these really interesting things work, whether it's a medical device or a unique feature of a vehicle and taking things apart and figuring out how to fit them back together again and then finding the right expert to put together the right trial team. At trial, cross-examination is obviously my favorite part. It's exciting. And then getting the opportunity also to help people with your knowledge of the law is invaluable. The civil rights cases that I've had are so meaningful, and I encourage anybody that has the opportunity to do some work in that area of the law. If you're planning on going to law school or if you're in law school or if you're just starting out, figure out a way to work on some civil rights cases because it's incredibly rewarding. What do you hate the most about being a lawyer? I wouldn't say I really hate anything about it. There's obviously parts about it that are difficult and stressful, but something that really frustrates me, especially in state court practice, is sort of an astounding lack of civility that seems to have gone unchecked in a lot of counsel. It's inappropriate. I don't like gamesmanship. I work really hard to hold myself to a high standard of professionalism, and I work with my associates to train them the same way. Any lack of civility really frustrates me. And a lot of times judges don't necessarily want to deal with it. And I get it. I nannied for five kids. Anyone that's a parent knows that when your children are arguing, you don't really care who started the argument. You just want them to stop arguing and behave in the way that you've taught them to behave and that they're supposed to behave. Sometimes I feel like judges can kind of take that same attitude, and sometimes it's warranted, but sometimes it's frustrating when you have gone out of your way to comport with all the rules of professionalism and civility and ethics, and the other side is not doing that, and your client gets frustrated, understandably, because the other side isn't playing by the rules. If you don't have a judge that's willing to acknowledge that, it can be really difficult. I really enjoy the job. I know I am an effective writer, but sometimes I just get that writer's block. And legal writing, it isn't like being obviously an author of a novel, but it does take some creativity and some finesse to be persuasive. And sometimes I get in my head about that. And I won't I won't say that I hate that. I guess maybe I do. I hate that I do that to myself. I hate that I'm like an inner saboteur, as RuPaul would say. I hate that sometimes I feel like I can't do it. I hate that I sometimes can feel paralyzed and think that a part of my performance anxiety is going to hold me back. I hate that there's such a prevalence of imposter syndrome in the industry or in the profession. A lot of us don't know everything. And I wish I would have known that sooner as a junior associate I remember I would have people more senior than me when I was a first year or second year that would ask me to do things, look up these really complex questions of law. And I would be thinking, why are they asking me to do this? I realized as I got more senior that the reason they were asking me is because they also didn't know. They were asking me to research it because they wanted to also know the answer. So I don't know how that plays into imposter syndrome, but that is something that I just hate about the profession. There's this little voice in your head sometimes that tells you that you're not a good writer or that you're not a good speaker or that you're not a good person at depositions or that you're going to say something wrong when you're on the phone with opposing counsel or that, you know, you don't look the part. (laughs) That's what I hate the most about being a lawyer. And I think that goes to a lot of professions. Favorite ADHD strategies. I know this question is probably for Angela, but I'd like to share some of my own organization strategies. So 
I like to make lists, which I'm sure everyone makes lists, but I like to make it at the end of my day and I kind of order it in priority when my day is done. And that way I can see what my priorities were earlier in the day and see what I got to and what I didn't get to. And in the morning, I will go through my email and see from my emails what is the most pressing and whether my to-do list needs to shift. So then I will redo my to-do list and knock out the first thing before checking my emails again. We get a lot of emails. I did a TikTok on my personal account recently and was maybe an hour into doing number one on my task list. And I had received 52 emails in that span of an hour. And most of them were not really substantive or pressing, but I'd say maybe half of them were. And I think if I had stopped my number one task to address those emails, I would have never gotten anything done. With being a lawyer too, other pressing things will come up just naturally. And so it kind of messes everything up. But yeah, I just like that method of setting your list the night before, trying again in the morning and adjusting as you go. Even doing a midday check-in with your list to see if you have to adjust it again, I think is really important and helpful. And then I also like to have a calendar for the entire month to see what's ahead. I really tried to do the whole calendar and the phone thing, but I just forget about it. I'm the type of person who needs to see it all written out in a monthly planner. Even things like getting my hair dyed or meeting a friend for a dinner, it's just so easy for me to forget. That could be my own attention issues or just by virtue of having so much on my plate. So it's important for me to have those little strategies to keep my day organized. Oh, I also use so many alarms for daily things that are just crucial. As for me, I ask for a ton of help from my paralegals and secretary. I let them know that I want reminders for things and they're never going to annoy me if they send me an email or send me a message saying, hey, did you remember this? Or, hey, what's your plan? I encourage them to do that. I also have a bullet journal. I've found that bullet journaling is really the only way that works for me. I think because it's more free form and you can move things around and just Google it if you don't know what bullet journaling is. I think there's just something with ADHD people where a, a standard calendar makes you feel really constrained and weird, but the bullet journal gives you a ton of freedom to deal with that in a way that makes sense to you and organize it in a way that your brain likes and enjoys. I also use the Google Voice Assistant to set myself timers for things and to set myself reminders because I don't have to get on my phone or find a pen and write something down. I can literally just tell it, hey, remind me to do this at this time or set a timer for 15 minutes. And then when the timer goes off, I remember what I was supposed to be getting done within that time frame or remember to stop and move on to my next task without me getting distracted from what I'm already doing by opening up my phone or opening up a different browser page on the computer. Can you speak to the psychology of the legal process? So as someone who majored in psychology, the psychology of being a lawyer has always fascinated me. In law school, I took, I don't remember the official title, but it was The Psychology of the Jury, and it was by one of the top psychologists in the country who does specific research for the jury. And there's so many little, not tips and tricks, but it's just truths of appealing to a jury. First impressions are so wildly important. It is very difficult to overcome that initial impression in general life and especially in a trial. 
feel like an average trial is probably a week long, but then maybe you have some that last a month. Mine have all lasted a month. But even so, even so, I don't feel like that's enough time to get over that initial first impression. So that just matters so, so, so much. And people are so complex. And you can try and have these hunches about how you think a jury is thinking. But there are professionals trained in observing their mannerisms, their attention to try and see what the outcome might be in the case or how you can shift what you're doing to get in their favor. Sometimes, honestly, it doesn't even matter if your their facts are bad or if the law is not on your side. It doesn't really matter because the jury will go based off of the facts. But sometimes there can be some sway depending on how you come across to the jury. And that goes for witnesses as well. I explained this in a TikTok on our actual Bravo Docket TikTok account. I wouldn't go follow it if you're expecting a lot of content because we're so busy. But once in a blue moon, I'll get a wild hair and go record a TikTok. But I explained there how witness credibility is just key for a jury or a juror to decide whether or not to believe your witness's testimony. So if your witness isn't coming across as credible, I mean, of course, it's like common sense. If you think someone's lying, you're not going to believe their testimony. But there's so many strategies that you can use to make sure that your witness is coming across as credible and comes across as someone who's genuine. And that's just with juries. There's so much more when you talk about psychology and the legal process. I mean, how do you want to come across to your opposing counsel? Some people like to take a hard approach where they try and be combative every time they get on the phone with opposing counsel. Other people like to be a little bit nicer and see whether honey attracts more bees or whatever the saying is and see if they can come to resolutions by being nicer and kinder. That's a psychology decision that you have to make in your strategy, even the psychology of how you interact with your superiors. But I find that really exciting. And that goes to what I said earlier about my favorite part about being a lawyer. What I love about being a lawyer is that that strategy and that includes the psychology or the, the mind, the mind tricks that you might use. It's all the performance. It's so fun. So I'm actually not going to answer this one here. I have some ideas for some future episodes where we can go into some of that, but it's that's a super fascinating, broad question, and I think I'm going to save my thoughts on that for another episode. Day in the life of an attorney. I guess I kind of answered this when I talked about the how many hours a week do you work. I'd say there's never a day that's the same. You don't have a, a set sort of standard day. Sometimes you're taking the role of an author. Sometimes you're taking the role of an expert. Sometimes you're trying to be creative. There was one case where I was designing Instagram posts because we wanted to do like an unofficial survey on social media. There was another day I was taking photos of dolls and the packaging to submit to the court. I mean, you just wear so many hats, but I think that's what makes it difficult as well. I feel like I keep going back to that question about what we love and hate the most. But that's what can be difficult about it, too, is because you do wear so many hats. It's hard to be a full expert in any one thing. You can be very competent in multiple things, but it can be hard to realize that you're not going to be the best in everything that it takes to be a litigator. Oh, yeah. Every day is different. Some days you get up and everything's on fire. And then other days you're holed up for six to 12 hours. 
hyper-focusing on a really important brief in federal court or you're preparing for an oral, oral argument or if you have court that day, you've got to prepare for the hearing or if you have a deposition. When you're a litigator, there's so many different things that you do. Okay, I added these. Favorite music artist? Mine is Radiohead. I love Radiohead. If you like met me on the street, you might not think that, but I love it. I think the music is so moving. The lyrics are so impactful. If I need a good cry, I'll listen to it. If I need a good album to drive to, I'll listen to In Rainbows. I've seen them perform five times live. I'm a big fan of traditional American blues music. My first concert that I went to was with my dad, and he took me to see B.B. King. I lived in Kansas City. I always loved the Blues and Jazz Festival. My favorite music artists are a lot of the same ones that my dad had. He loved The Doors, The Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, all of that. But really, I have a special place in my heart for Stevie Ray Vaughan. I got to see Gary Clark Jr. live in Austin. He was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And he was so collaborative and brought up a bunch of other Austin musical artists on the stage. It's such a cool show. I love Arcade Fire, David Bowie, Fat Tony. He's a rapper out of Houston, and he's amazing. Lil Wayne is always on my playlist. Who else? I mean, there's a lot. I could ramble on about this forever. I'm going to stop now. Favorite sports team? None. I don't. I'm not into sports. My dad is a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. We're not related to Pittsburgh. We have no association to Pittsburgh at all. I think it was his high school football colors. So ever since high school, he's been really into the Steelers. I have been to a game in Pittsburgh with my dad. We have a bunch of terrible towels, but I just, I'm not into sports. I'll go to a game. I love going to like a baseball game. I love having a beer and a hot dog in a stadium. Love it, but I have no allegiance. Okay, so I just learned that Ceci loves going to baseball games. I love baseball, Kansas City Royals, when the Royals won the World Series. And my grandpa, who had watched every single Royals game since they won the World Series in 1985, finally got to see them win again. That was just one of the most amazing nights of my life. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, come on. And then, of course, my beloved Jayhawks. I love college basketball. But back to Ceci enjoying baseball games, I'm really excited to know about this because I love going to hometown baseball stadiums. Favorite TV show outside of reality TV. My favorite show of all time is Fleabag. It is phenomenal television. I won't let Avery, my boyfriend, watch it with me because I'm afraid he's going to say something about how he doesn't like it. And then I'll have to break up with him. My other favorite show is Catastrophe. Excellent dramedy. Just so well written, so well acted, hilarious, sad, really raw. It just shows the ups and downs of being in a couple. Right now, as I've, last time I studied for the bar, let me take a step back. Last time I studied for the bar, I had one show that I just became obsessed over, and that was Charmed, (laughs) the witch show from the early 2000s. I became utterly obsessed with it, watched every episode this time around is Outlander. I don't know how I missed this show when it was actually airing, but I am obsessed. Any of you who've seen it, you know why. I have to agree with Ceci. Fleabag is an amazing show. I also have to say The Sopranos, super high quality writing and acting and just all the details of the characters. It was just masterfully done. 
I loved Game of Thrones up until they completely ruined it. And I could start a whole other podcast about how mad I was about the character arcs in that show. And I won't even just don't even get me started about that. I could literally rant for hours. But I also really enjoy Arrested Development. That one's just brilliant as well. All right. And then what's your favorite reality show outside of Bravo? Mine is Drag Race. However, I am feeling the Drag Race fatigue. They need to stop putting out so many seasons, so many seasons of All Stars, so many UK seasons, so many other abroad seasons. It's kind of like below deck for me right now where I'm just, you're giving me too much and I'm choking on it, girl. This is super old, but I remember watching a reality show on MTV called Made. And I remember thinking it was so cool when I was watching it and seeing what people had to do to turn into the thing they wanted to turn into and getting a coach to help them and training and all of that stuff. I used to love watching that. But besides that, probably the great British baking show because it's so soothing and they're so kind to each other, but they're also so funny. Quick recommendation if you haven't seen the episode that Russell Brand is on, that's one of the funniest reality TV episodes I may have seen. Favorite movie? My favorite movie of all time is Moulin Rouge. I love the glamour, the beauty. I'm really big into themes and going all out with a theme. And I feel like that movie goes all out with a theme and it just gives the romance and the beautiful decor and the costumes and just the raw emotions at the end. I cry every time. I can't do a favorite movie of all time. Favorite legal movie, My Cousin Vinny. I've said that many times on this podcast. The original Alien, I think that's one of the best movies ever made. I didn't even see that movie until my husband showed it to me maybe five years ago. And I was actually mad that I went so long in my life without watching that movie. I don't know if I've ever identified with a character more than Ripley. I actually have a printout hanging in my kitchen that is framed with our family portraits that has Ripley holding her cat. Pride and Prejudice is my favorite sort of romance movie, the Keira Knightley version. The acting, the piano, all of that. Absolutely love it so much. And Moonstruck. Moonstruck is, again, I think one of the best movies ever made. And as an Italian, it's just so authentic, the way they all relate to each other and the dialogue. What Housewives franchise got you hooked? I've been watching since the beginning, but I think the one that got me hooked back in, like I said, was Real Housewives of New York. For me, it was the early seasons of Beverly Hills. There's watching the Richards sisters in that very real dynamic with each other. Lisa Vanderpump going over in her heels to try to help Adrian learn how to cook a chicken and Adrian trying to put soap on the chicken. The early seasons of Beverly Hills got me hooked. That was sort of my gateway drug. And then I started watching Atlanta and New York. What show initially got you into Bravo? I can't remember what the earliest show I watched on Bravo was, but I used to watch all those early shows. I loved Tabitha's Salon Takeover. I thought she was such a badass. And then the original Queer Eye, Kathy, why am I blanking on her last name? Griffin? Her show, I know there's some I'm forgetting, wasn't there one with like Tommy Hilfiger's daughter? I watched that. I love reality television. Oh, Project Runway since the beginning. Oh, Project Runway for me, for sure. And 
I don't know if this will be a legal brief or a full episode, but we're learning some new things about the contracts that they had in the original show. I was just watching an interview with Tim Gunn about how he was talking about how some of the things that they were wanting to put in the contracts for the contestants and how he felt that they were unconscionable. And I really want to dig into that and maybe create a whole episode out of Project Runway legal stuff. Which housewife that's actually been in legal trouble would you most and least like to defend? I think it'd be pretty awful to represent Teresa. I mean, I don't know how her relationship was with her attorney, but just from what we know, I think she just was holding withholding stuff and not being very honest and open with her attorney. I feel like Sonia would probably suffer from that as well, just not being completely truthful with the attorney. So I think we've been asked this before, and I said whoever was the most organized is who I would want to represent. And I think it was Monique because she had that whole binder <laughs> at the reunion, so she would keep all her receipts. I know Candy Burris would actually pay her bills, so that's another good one. I think Bethany would not be good to represent. I think she'd try and be the type of client who claims to know more than you. Well, I don't know if Dolores has actually been in legal trouble, and I hope she hasn't, but she is one that I would definitely take on as a client. She is smart. She was married to an attorney. She used to be a corrections officer. She knows how to keep her mouth shut when she needs to. I can tell she would be a good client to work with. I would hate to represent Erica. I just get the feeling she would want her counsel to make legal arguments that they're not comfortable with and that she would think she was smarter than her attorney and that she would withhold information and then also just be a PR nightmare, as has been clear. She would be, in my opinion, the absolute worst. Biggest Bravo legal scandal in your opinion? Jen Shah. To me, that was shocking. Absolutely shocking. I think it would have been less shocking had she been on the show longer and had this started after she started on the show. But the fact that she came to the show so new with this entire fraud scheme already underway for 10 plus years. It's just shocking. And then how she got arrested on camera. Oh my God, that was just phenomenal television. And and then just following it in real time, I, I get chills. Ooh, what a moment to be a fan. The obvious answer besides Jen Shaw is the downfall of Tom Girardi. You can't really answer the question without bringing up Jen Shaw and Tom Girardi. But there's just been so many wild things that have gone on. The you know Real Housewives of D.C. sneaking into or trying to sneak into an event at the White House past the Secret Service and all of that, and then having them them testifying in front of Congress, sometimes I forget about how insane that was. They literally got called up to testify in front of Congress and then evoked their Fifth Amendment rights over and over again, which as their lawyer, obviously that was the right thing to do. But just the fact that there was a real housewife that had to testify in front of Congress over a national security issue is insane to me. What would you suggest a housewife do before signing her contract? Read it and have an attorney review it. Yeah, there's no way to answer that question without sounding like we're giving legal advice. So I'm not going to do that either. Those contracts are pretty one-sided from what we've learned. Good luck if you're thinking about signing one. What is your favorite case to have worked on and our favorite case in history and why? I've gotten something enjoyable out of every case that I've worked on. I know that's such a pageant girl answer. But yeah, I learned something in every case. 
I can't answer this question here because it would take too long, but maybe at some point I can do a whole episode or something where I talk about these things and important cases that I've learned about, researched, my favorite cases that I've worked on, and my actual experience with certain things that have happened in jury trials. I could tell some more stories, but this is too big of a question to answer here. Would y'all join a reality show? If so, what type would it be? Yes, I would, but it would be the type where I'm on below deck and I'm not the focus. I'm just a guest. I will add, though, that a reality show about attorneys would be terrible. Yes, there are fun parts, but there's a lot of time just sitting in front of a computer. So you don't want that. I agree. I definitely wouldn't want to be on a show where I'm the focus because with the show be it would be me watching reality TV and then doing the podcast and doing legal work. Which housewives are you surprised haven't gotten into serious legal issues yet? There's no one that comes to mind, but I just feel like there's so many legal issues that you can get into, like bankruptcies and divorces and even simple traffic tickets or accidents that I'm surprised not everyone has. I cannot figure out for the life of me how Drew Sador's husband, Ralph Pittman Jr., has not been involved in some sort of scandal or lawsuit or some type of scheme. He seems like he would fit in very well with the other people that have gotten in trouble for that, and that's just my opinion. I'm not saying he has done any of those things. I'm just shocked that nothing has surfaced, and that's just my opinion. It's my opinion. Are you Team Melissa or Team Teresa? I'm going to let Angela answer this. I don't watch New Jersey. It's just not a franchise that I really connected with after the first few seasons. I wouldn't say I'm team anybody, but I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things that you can really respect about Teresa. And don't come at me for this, but she has a super close relationship with her children. She has been through so much on TV. Objectively, she is an interesting person. I read her book that she wrote when she was in jail, and it really humanized her. And I've read all of the legal pleadings. I know what happened. And I also understand how she got to the place where that was happening. They weren't, it wasn't smart decisions, but she paid her debt to society. She paid all of her restitution. She paid her husband's restitution. She paid her legal fees. She paid her husband's legal fees. And one thing that no one can argue with me about is that before Teresa went to prison, she stayed super strong. She was not making it about herself. She didn't break down. She didn't scare her children. She stayed super strong for her children and for her family and served her time and got out and paid everything off. No matter how you feel about her, have to respect that. And if you're somebody that enjoys these shows and reality TV, for a very long time, she has been a very interesting person on reality TV. And I, I don't feel like I can say these same things about a lot of other people. I don't like the whole black and white, are you one side or the other? There's good things you could say about Melissa too. But if I have to pick one, I will pick Teresa for those reasons. Mount Everest housewives. All right. So these aren't my favorite housewives, but I would say kind of the founders or what is, what is, I know what Mount Everest is, but why is it? Why are those presidents chosen to be on Mount Everest? And how do I apply those same factors into my housewife's Mount Everest? I guess for purposes of answering this, I'll just say it's like the founders, 
the 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 form the formula of housewife the the model i would say kyle richards sonia morgan Teresa, vicky gunvalson said marison karen huger and then i'd have to add nini leaks i'm probably missing some people but i think that's what i'm gonna go with bethany Teresa, nini lisa vanderpump what is your go-to drink at a bar uh so not go-to but i really like gin gimlets just something simple and a little bit sour and a little bit sweet. I've been trying to be healthier and vodka sodas are always healthy. If it's in a tropical place, I'll add some pineapple and some mint. That's my version of a tropical drink. Like I said in the last episode, I was a bartender for well over a decade. I don't really like ordering complicated drinks at bars. A simple Tito's and tonic tall. Ideally diet tonic if you have it, so I'm not getting the extra sugar. On vacation, I love a good painkiller cocktail. You can't go wrong with a margarita that's well-made with good tequila. Angela asks this. If you had to pick a housewife as your stylist, which one would you pick? All right. So Lisa Barlow, her style is phenomenal, but I don't have her body type. So I don't know if she'd get my body type and be able to style it properly. I'm I I got a big booty, <laughs> so I have big hips and a small waist. And I think that's difficult to style properly. Sai from the new Real Housewives reboot. I follow her or I followed her on TikTok before I realized she was a cast member. And she has really great style. And she's also she she's also Puerto Rican. So I feel like that would be a good one. For a bit, I really liked Danielle's style from Summer House. I kind of liked it, I'd say like a year or two ago. I was constantly DMing her trying to see where she got things from. And, and I have some purchases that were inspired by her outfits. I really appreciate the body types on Miami and Potomac. I really like identifying with those, even though I don't wear the same styles that they do. I just love that representation. I don't like Dorit's head-to-toe label outfits, but there are times where she puts together a look, and I think she has a lot of vintage fashion pieces that she works with. I've seen her wear stuff from John Galliano's time at Dior. She's worn Vivian Westwood, and she lived in Italy for 10 years and really does have a background in fashion and design. But if I'm being really honest, I'm a crazy cat lady like Sutton, and I want Sutton to dress me up and I want to wear crazy cat lady sweaters together that cost more than my house and go with her on her trips to go shopping where they roll out the red carpet for her. And then my question to Angela is, which housewife would you want to go horseback riding with? I'm surprised you even had to ask this. Lisa Vanderpump, obviously. Angela asks me, who would you most want to cross-examine in the Bravo universe? I can start by saying I would not want to cross-examine Candace. She is very quick-witted and would know how to formulate a response very quickly. Tisa would be fun, but probably easy. And I think not a housewife, but I would love to cross-examine Tom Sandoval. That little liar. Oh, I agree. I want to cross-examine the men. If I was cross-examining Ralph, we would know exactly what he was doing in Tampa. I'd love to subject Michael Darby to some cross-examination. I think David Bedore could use some time on the witness stand. And Jim Edmonds. And then who's that terrible person that sued Tamara and Heather McDonald? We did a whole episode about him. He sued Shannon, too. I don't remember his name right now, probably because I disliked him so much. That guy. I have a feeling this list is going to get really long. If I keep thinking about this, I'm going to stop here. And then I added these to wrap us up. 
What do you see for the Bravo Docket's future? I think we've been maintaining the status quo, and I'm proud of us for that because it has been difficult, but I would love to see us expand. I recently had the idea, and I posted about it on our Instagram and our threads, that it would be so cool to have a Bravo Docket panel at BravoCon where we kind of hash out top housewives disputes and we give a ruling on it. But then I thought it would be really cool to do a spinoff podcast or maybe a series in our podcast where Angela and I represent or stand in the place of those two that are having the argument and argue it. And it'll be very limited legal argument. Maybe we can bring up one law each, but otherwise be straight factual argument in our client's favor and make it a little bit humorous and not too formal and not too legally so people can't be like, I can't believe you're a lawyer. I can't believe you talk like that. I would want it to be a little bit fun. So yeah, let us know if you think that'd be cool. And then maybe we could flip that into a TV show. It's hard for me to say that I'd ever leave my job as an attorney. Like I explained in the first episode of this, it's my safety blanket. Being a lawyer, it was a smart choice for me and it was a comfortable choice for me. So I think to branch out and leave that, it would just have to be really economically persuasive and offer me security into the long-term future. So I don't know. I have these big hopes and dreams for the Bravo docket, but I like there's still the fear in the back of my head of not succeeding and not being financially secure. I mean, Sussie has so many good ideas. I'm open to so many things, but no matter what I do, I want to keep working with Sussie and I want to keep increasing legal literacy. It is just not feasible for everybody to go to law school and the law just isn't made accessible and you're not taught things in middle and elementary and high school, just even about the basics of constitutional law. So I really want to keep empowering people and sharing knowledge. And I'm open to anywhere positive that all of this can go. So anything else you want to say to the fans about yourself, about the podcast? I mean, just thank you for listening. Thank you for making this such a fun experience and for supporting it. We started this just on a kind of a whim. We wanted to see what would happen and it's grown. And I like to save everyone's supportive comments for when I'm having a bad day, which happens often. But it's been so nice and it's been so nice connecting with so many people. When I was living in New York towards the end and then into the pandemic, I started to feel really lonely and I think that's why I turned to the Housewives subreddit. Everyone was anonymous, but it felt like I had a community. And who would have known that there was this whole podcast community and so many people who reach out and just want to say hi and want to connect and what a wild world to be a part of. I feel so fortunate and I feel like I have a built-in support system now and people I can reach out to. And I really appreciate that. There can be hard times where people critique how we speak or laugh or how we handle ourselves on here, but it's our creation and we're really proud of it, even if it doesn't suit everyone. And we appreciate those who support it and who listen and enjoy it. We really try and we're always trying to make it better. If you ever have suggestions, email us. We read everything. So, email us. But yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do something different. It's been fun to just 
talk freely. But yeah, I'll uh, leave it to Angela to close this out. Just seconding what Ceci said, thank you so much for listening. We're so grateful for everyone that listens and for everybody that leaves a positive review. Please know that that makes our day. And like I said before, we will screenshot them and text them to each other. And it just makes us very grateful for all of you and for everyone that listens. It was really scary to put ourselves out here like this, especially as attorneys for the legal community to have responded so well and be such fans. That means more than anything. The commentary, the positive comments from our peers. Thank you so much because we really were afraid to put ourselves out there. It's scary when you're an attorney, especially when you're a litigator, to do something and put it out in the public eye. And you have created this community that we are so grateful to be a part of. And we just can't thank you enough. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Bravo Docket is part of the Acast Creator Network.